Hey everybody, it's Nick. I am the producer slash editor here at the Business Accelerator podcast, and we're giving you an encore airing of an episode titled Change the Frame to Win the Game. This was specifically chosen by Joel to share with you today. And what I have to offer you is to say that this will be without any ad interruptions at all. This is it. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, I've already heard this episode, or I already know this stuff, which never hurts to review. But if you're already thinking, I don't know if I need this, then what I will tell you is that you're the perfect person to just go to businessaccelerator.com slash coach and get that free business growth coaching call, right? You'll spend just about the same amount of time as you will spend listening to this podcast as you would be getting that one-on-one help directly from Business Accelerator. So go to businessaccelerator.com slash coach if you're like, I don't need to listen to this episode. Or (laughs) you can listen to this episode and then go to businessaccelerator.com slash coach for your free business growth coaching call. So that's it. Enjoy the show. Try this thought experiment with me. Would you rather walk into a circumstance feeling ready and resourceful that you can handle whatever comes at you or unready unprepared for whatever's next. We all know the risks of overconfidence. You know, you really can't make that jump. And of course, classic literature is full of examples of overconfidence gone awry. I mean, if you look overhead right now, you might even see Icarus falling from the sky. But overconfidence can actually serve us well. When you enter a situation and feel ready and able to handle it, even if you're not, you'll perform better in that circumstance than if you come in more tentatively and reserved. And the reality is this, that subconscious lift in our mind ends up giving us a performance boost. The reverse is also true. If you walk into a situation underconfident, even if you're not aware of what's going on in your mind, you'll perform poorly. We can think of that mindset as a limiting belief. And the trick to improving your performance in that moment is to trade that limiting belief for a liberating truth. In other words, to find something that will buoy your confidence. Hi, I'm Joel Miller. Chief Product Officer here at Full Focus, and this is the Business Accelerator Podcast. Today, we're talking about limiting beliefs and liberating truths, but we're not going to talk about them in a general sense. We're going to bring it down to specifics. We're talking about marketing and HR and ops. Megan Hyatt Miller, our CEO, starts us off with a conversation with Marissa Hyatt, our Director of Marketing. They talk about where limiting beliefs show up in representing our products to the marketplace. And then Megan speaks with Aaron Perry, our chief experience officer, about how limiting beliefs show up in HR and operational contexts. These two conversations, they're going to be transformative for you because these limiting beliefs are affecting you right now, most likely, and you may not even be aware of how they're holding you back. I'm confident that these conversations will help you identify some of those limiting beliefs and exchange them for liberating truths that are going to help move things forward in your business. As I mentioned before the break, 
This first conversation is with our CEO, Megan Hyatt Miller, and Marissa Hyatt, our Director of Marketing. Marissa is here to talk about five limiting beliefs that marketing professionals feel, and I'm confident, possibly even overconfident, but I'm guessing it's dialed in just right, that this conversation is going to really help you see some things in your own business that you can address. I'm so excited to have uh, our marketing director, Marissa Hyatt, who also happens to be my youngest sister here with me today. Hey, Marissa. Hey, Meg. I'm excited to be here. This is my first time uh, back on the podcast since uh, it is now the Business Accelerator podcast. Yes. I'm so excited you're here. Okay. Have you experienced limiting beliefs on your team or within yourself? Do you mean today? (laughs) (laughs) Do you mean in the last 15 minutes? (laughs) Yes. Uh, The short answer is yes. Um, I think this is true for anybody, you know, no matter what kind of position you're in or what department you might fall under. We all experience limiting beliefs, but um, I definitely have experienced them personally within uh, my role as a director of marketing and within our marketing team. I think this is really normal. So I think it's important, you know, Megan, that we normalize this for people. This is just part of growth and um, part of expanding our thinking. Um, But yeah, definitely. I experience it quite a bit. (laughs) Well, it's also part of being a human because, you know, if this is not an area where um, you've immersed yourself deeply in, the truth is that our brains are just wired to protect us. They don't really care about the results we're responsible for. You know, they care about keeping us safe. And that means they're trying to protect us. And limiting beliefs are kind of a primitive way that our brains try to protect us by making sure that we, you know, don't do anything that's too vulnerable or uh, get ourselves into trouble. Unfortunately, that's often at cross purposes with what we're trying to accomplish. So you're so right. It's absolutely normal. And we don't have to be stuck there. We don't have to only think what we think the first time, which are usually those limiting beliefs. So what I love is that today you have actually identified five limiting beliefs that marketers often feel. So we're going to talk about those in depth. We're also going to talk about some more empowering beliefs, or as we call them, liberating truths that can help your marketing team or your marketing person really make progress instead of feeling stuck. And you know, just kind of a pro tip as a business owner here that I just I want to encourage you guys who are listening about if you're finding that you're not getting the results that you want, okay, especially here in the fourth quarter, if you're, you know, you're, you're, you have a goal in mind, you're really striving for that goal, but you're not where you want to be yet. And you think that marketing might be the problem. It's very easy as one of my um, executive coaches in the past told me to coach doing instead of coaching thinking. And I think one of the kind of master level business owner skills that we can all work to develop is the ability to coach thinking instead of just defaulting to talking about tactics or strategy. So Marissa, the first limiting belief that you've identified is that marketing is only about metrics. So talk about what you mean. Yeah, well, I think that this is really common. Obviously, marketing is a lot about metrics, right? We're here to deliver results. Um, And I think it is really easy to get caught up in that marketing is only about the numbers. And I think that it often feels this way. It can feel like we're just constantly grinding or the second the month ends, then the next day it starts all over. And so you're back at zero and it can feel... Um, you know, kind of exhausting and just 
almost a little bit like you're in a rat race and it's just about the numbers and it's constantly, you know, you're hustling, you're trying to make pivots and make changes to, to meet those, you know, metrics. This is something that I see within my team. This is something that I certainly see within myself often where it can feel like we lose sight of actually what we're doing, you know, and I see this, you know, for, for instance, within, um, when we are selling our planner and we're marketing our full focus planner and, you know, we've got certain numbers that we need to hit, um, in terms of the revenue that we are driving with that product. And it can be really easy to feel like we are just there to meet those numbers. And one of the things that is really important, I think as a marketer, um, or to be somebody on a marketing team to remember is that what we are marketing is transformation. It's change, right? That's ultimately what all of us are here to market. And so when I think about our full focus planner, while it can feel a lot of the time like we are just grinding and just trying to meet those numbers month after month after month, the truth is we're actually selling transformation. We're helping people change their lives through goal achievement. And that is ultimately what we are here to do. And so every single one of those, you know, uh, dollar bills or those subscription numbers that we look at, you know, in that part of our business, it's really about um, the lives that we're transforming. Same thing within our business accelerator uh, program. You know, it's easy for us to just get focused on the numbers of sales calls, for instance, that we're trying to deliver as a marketing team for our sales team. But we have to remember that those numbers represent people. They represent business owners and their teams and their families. And I think when we can focus on that versus just the metrics, and the metrics are very important. I mean, it's it's really helpful and it's incredibly important that we do hit those, but it's really about how we frame those metrics. Marissa, I love this because one of the things I think I would say to maybe a little bit of a different way is that the work of marketing can become kind of transactional or can feel transactional mm-hmm. to the marketing team. Um, and it can feel like it's, it's just about, you know, checking the boxes, so to speak. Part of the critically important role of the business owner in relationship to marketing, and certainly this is true if you're a leader like Marissa is of a marketing team or you lead a, a revenue team as her boss, our chief revenue officer, Cordy Baker does, um, you know, you can do this as well. But certainly as a business owner, one of the things that we can do for our teams is constantly point them to the deeper meaning of their work. Because that's so energizing. You know, it's there's something that is so satisfying when you know that in our case, every time somebody buys a full focus planner, they have the opportunity to create a vision for their life and then the means by which to execute that and realize that vision so they really can win at work and succeed at life. You know, that's powerful. And um, some of the things that we have done to help connect those dots for people is that in our uh, monthly and quarterly team meetings, in particular, the quarterly ones, we share testimonials with our team because uh, sometimes, you know, like, for example, our finance team or our HR team, they're not necessarily having direct contact with our customers or clients. And it's easy to become very disconnected from the practical reality of our mission at work in the world. And so as leaders, we've got to bring people back to that so that they really feel emotionally connected to the work that they're doing. And when they think about hitting their metrics, it's really about how many lives can they transform, not just how much money can we make. Yeah, 
I think that's really true and it's really important. This is something that um, as a revenue department, you know, we have um, every other week we have our departmental meetings and that includes our marketing team and our sales team. And every single week uh, that we meet, we get to share our sales team, shares um, different um, transformations, you know, and conversations that they've had with uh, new clients. You know, we as a marketing team typically share uh, transformations that we see from our full focus planner customers. And it just, you're right, it re-energizes us and helps us to actually get excited about hitting those metrics rather than feeling um, almost like bogged down or burdened by those metrics. I think that's so, so important. And what happens is you will tap into another level of performance from your team when you do that, because everybody wants to contribute to something bigger than themselves. And after a while, you know, the financial part of it is not as rewarding as it probably is for you as the business owner. So this is a big secret to unlock. I love this, Marissa. Okay, so the second limiting belief that you've identified is that uh, we've hit the ceiling on our success. Ooh, this is a dangerous one. Talk about this. Yeah, so this is actually a personal um, <laughs> limiting belief that I have dealt with, um, Meg, and you, and you, I think, uh, know what kind of example I'm going to share. But um, there was a point earlier this year where we were hitting pretty consistently the same numbers um, for uh, the sales calls that we as a marketing team are responsible for uh, providing the sales team with. And my boss had uh, kind of charged me with creating um, a certain number of those calls every month um, and figuring out how to deliver those through kind of evergreen uh, tactics. So tactics that we weren't actively having to, you know, churn out and push out um, to, to deliver those results. And um, <laughs> I really didn't think it was possible. I mean, just to be honest, I thought we have totally hit the ceiling in this. Like this is as good as it's going to get. We're consistently delivering, you know, X amount of calls. And I feel good about that. But like, there's no way that we can go beyond that you know? And, um, I think we, as a marketing team, you know, kind of felt this collectively of like, look, we, we have figured out a good formula and there's no way we're going to be able to deliver beyond what we've already delivered. And, you know, I really have to credit Courtney, my boss for this, because she really challenged me into my thinking of how can you get out of what you've done in the past and think creatively and figure out a new way uh, to approach this. And I'm happy to say now that about six months later, we have pretty much doubled what we were doing uh, six months ago. And um, it really took me being willing as a leader to be, you know, move beyond what we had previously done. And um, I know, Megan, that uh, you and Courtney and myself have all gone through the uh, Breakthrough Thinking course from uh, Gap International, and that was really transformational for me and helping me push past those um, kind of beliefs that I had felt. And uh, I think it, this is normal. We as marketers get in, you know, to a routine of success that delivers a certain amount of, you know, results. And often we settle for uh, consistency. And I think that it's important to regularly challenge that and uh, be willing to, you know, move past our normal thinking, think creatively, think outside of the box and um, figure out how we can do things differently to deliver better results. 
I love that. And obviously, I, I know this story intimately, and it was really cool to watch it unfold. And I think the the takeaway here is that if you hadn't been willing to challenge your thinking, you wouldn't have had access to the kind of strategies that really opened this up and enable you to double your results here. So I think that's, if you're coaching somebody on your marketing team, um, you know, the thinking came before the strategies that delivered the results. And I think that that's a really important sequencing note to make. Uh, you know, when, when you were talking, I was thinking, okay, so if the limiting belief is we hit the ceiling on our success, a liberating truth might be we hit the ceiling on our success with our existing strategies and tactics. Yeah. Right. So that's a subtle difference. And if you think about that, when you open up that that bit about with our existing strategies and tactics, it necessarily means if we tried different strategies and tactics, we might be able to break through that ceiling. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's so empowering. I love that. Okay, let's go on to the third one. So the third limiting belief that you identified is that the only way to market is to be salesy and sleazy. <laughs> we probably yeah. all had that thought at one time or another, right? Yes. Well, I actually had this conversation um, with a friend recently who um, has an online business and was feeling really just ugh about it. You know, it was just like, I don't want to do the, you know, typical online grind that I see every other marketer out there doing. It feels so inauthentic. It feels sleazy. You know, it feels really in your face, salesy. And I think that this is a normal belief. We see a lot of people obviously open your, you know, Instagram or any kind of, you know, social media and you're going to be bombarded with marketing. And I think it's really easy to feel like it's going to be inauthentic, that I have to do it the way that everyone else is doing it in order to get the results that I'm after. You know, I know that I've personally struggled with, with this belief at various times and in various um, scenarios within our business. And I think that it's important to remember specifically, you know, whether you're the business owner or you are the marketer in the business, like I am, is that you get to define what marketing means for you and for your clients. And this needs to be authentic. It needs to feel true to who you and your business are, because if it doesn't, first of all, it's not going to deliver the results. People see through that. I mean, so quickly. They, We all know what it we. We've seen this a thousand times. You know, we know what this looks like. And so people are going to see through that. So it's not going to deliver the results, but it's also not going to feel good for you, which means it's not going to be sustainable. And I think that, you know, as marketers, we get to define what this looks like for us. And so you don't have to fall into the typical camp of whatever people are doing within your industry just because that's what everyone else is doing. You get to decide what it looks like for you. Um, and I think that that's when it starts to work and that's when it gets fun and that's when it feels like, man, I could do this forever. You know, this isn't something that just feels sleazy and inauthentic and salesy and weird and, you know, nobody wants that, you and your clients. That's right, that's right. Never works out well for anybody. So maybe a liberating truth could be that authentic marketing will attract the right clients. Yes. Um, which I think we've seen. We've seen that in our own business. I think we've seen that in the businesses of our clients. And it really is true. Um, but what we forget is that confidence is so much 
um, the foundation for marketing success. And if you're, if you're doing something that just doesn't feel like it fits you and it feels kind of funky, you're going to be selling from your heels. You know, you're kind of like leaning back. You're not, um, from in a place of confidence or, or congruence internally. So if you can shift to that place, then it makes total sense to me that your results would line up there. I love that. Okay, so let's go on to the fourth limiting belief. There's only one way to get leads. And you could say leads, sales, whatever, right? Yes. So for example, yes. like webinars or something, maybe that's your your thing that delivers leads or, uh, you know, in-person free trainings or whatever, whatever it is. And, and then what happens? Yeah. Well, I think that this is so common. This kind of goes back to several of the other points that we've already touched on, which is kind of this idea that what we've previously done is the only way to get results um, or what's happening in the market, what we're seeing other people do within our industry is the only way to get those leads or sales or whatever it might be. Um, you know, I put the example in here of webinars because that was something that was really personal to me. Um, you know, this is typically um, how in our business we have been able to deliver, you know, quality leads. Um, and it is still a way that we do that. Uh, we do it on mm -hmm. a regular basis. It's a way for us to really add value you and also deliver those leads. But it felt like at one point that it was the only way. And it honestly, at that point was, you know, and it was exhausting. Transparently, it was burning us out. You know, it was like everybody involved. It was a huge lift for our team to constantly produce mm -hmm. that content, to deliver that content. And it was just really hard to keep up with. And so one of the things that we did within our business was, first of all, how can we you know, leverage the webinars that we do have, turn them evergreen so that they're working for us, you know, without us having to, you know, reinvent the wheel every single time. And then it required me as the director to think through how can we deliver leads outside of webinars? What are other ways that we haven't previously thought of that um, maybe I've never heard of other people doing or we've never personally tried within our business? And so we were able to come up with a lot of new strategies, you know, email series that we delivered, social media campaigns, um, you know, SMS messages, lots of different things that we previously had never tried. And, you know, at one point didn't deliver leads, but now as things have changed and as we have grown and our clients have grown, they were able to deliver those leads. So I think it's important to not get stuck in any one strategy as a marketer, but we be willing to look outside of the box and think, how can I do this outside of just this one strategy? Yeah. So maybe the liberating truth here would be the best way to deliver leads we found so far is like in our case, webinars, you know, but whatever it is for you, you could, could pop in there. And again, when you say something like so far, it automatically opens up the possibility that there might be something else you haven't tried yet, or that could work even better. You know, right. like what, what if another liberating truth could be, what if there's an even better way to deliver leads that we haven't tried yet? Yeah. Or there's right. more than one way to get leads. I mean, right. that could be a really simple, yeah. um, or more than one way to get sales. Um, yeah. You know, it could be a really simple way to change that. Totally. You know, it's funny because you and I were just talking um, before lunch today. You, you came over to my office. We were talking about webinars and we were thinking about how to do them more efficiently. And um, anyway, we ended up in that conversation, I think, having a big breakthrough 
about how to more efficiently create and produce and deliver webinars that got me really excited. And the truth is, um, it came out of a frustration point, a friction point. And I'm really excited about the possibility of that, that we never would have discovered if we hadn't been clear on what the limiting belief was, right? And I think we identified, we actually didn't even realize that there was a limiting belief, but I think in the conversation we realized there was, and then it was like, oh, what if that's not even true? What if this could even be better, you know? And then all of a sudden it starts to shake loose these ideas and it it gets very exciting. So I think so often it's like, we just think what we think is true. And in reality, it's just like an opinion or something that's so totally subjective and it's open to being reimagined. Well, and I think, Megan, just to call on that conversation a little more, one thing that I think you were able to do, you know, as in this scenario, my coach was to be able to offer a different perspective. You weren't as tied to that process as I am. You're not as intimately involved in it as I am. And so you were able to kind of think of things or see things from a different perspective you know, vantage point that I Mm -hmm. being so in it was struggling to do. And the second that you, you know, kind of offered this alternative way to uh, looking at it, it was like the light bulb went off and I realized, oh yeah, it doesn't, this doesn't have to be the only thing that, you know, the only way that we produce webinars. And I think, um, you know, to speak to the business owners, I think this is something that you can really offer your team members is, um, you know, that viewpoint where you're not quite as attached to the process, the the way that they're delivering the results, where you can offer a different perspective mm-hmm. that hopefully will lead to breakthrough thinking on their part. But but just kind of getting them to step a little bit outside of what they're used to, I think, is is the real advantage that you can offer. Yeah, I think that's hugely important because sometimes I think, you know, I, I know I feel like this every now and then our, our business has grown to the point where I'm not an expert on the details of the tactics or even the strategies anymore. You know, um, I have built a pretty incredible team who are, are far more expert than I am at those things. And so sometimes it can feel like, well, you know, I don't really have a lot to contribute at a very specific level. You know, I'm, I'm kind of at the 30,000 foot level at this stage of our business. And that's true, but it's also true that sometimes that 30,000 foot perspective is a real asset to your team because everybody um, at a, you know, team level or individual contributor level is immersed in just the, the nuts and bolts of what they're doing, right? And so sometimes you can see things and challenge assumptions, like Marissa said, you're just not attached. You know, it, it, you don't feel the same sense of uh, the domino effect of things if you were to make this change or that change. And you might be willing to consider things that are a little more unorthodox or a little more unconventional that can really lead to a breakthrough for that specific team. And I think marketing is an area um, where this is particularly valuable. Okay, Marissa, let's go to our final limiting belief, uh, limiting belief number five, which is marketing means constantly pivoting and adjusting. Want, want. <laughs> Talk <Yeah>. about that. <laughs> well, there's part of this that is true. I mean, right. this is kind of the, the truth of marketing is that you do have to continually pivot, continually grow, adjust to meet those metrics, right? Um, but what this can end up feeling like is that there's never a bottom. There's never any kind of rest in this. And it's just you're constantly pivoting. You're constantly adjusting. And it can feel exhausting. 
And I think that this is, you know, certainly true in certain seasons within business. Um, you know, I've seen this um, feel really, really true in certain seasons. And then in others, it feels like you're just kind of grooving and flowing and it's not as, as challenging. Um, but I think that, you know, within our marketing team, I think that the way that I try to really frame this for our team is rather than it's just about constantly pivoting and adjusting and, you know, it's, we're never going to rest. I really try to go in with the, um, kind of mindset. Uh, and I think we get this from our dad, which is a, an experimental mindset, which is really about trying different things on, seeing what works, seeing, you know, what doesn't work, seeing how we can adjust going forward. Today within our marketing team meeting, we did, um, an after action review, which is a process that we have as a company that goes back and we look at whatever project or, um, you know, experience we just went through and really helps us kind of distill down what worked and what didn't work and kind of how we want to adjust going forward. And I think for me, when I've seen the best uh, transformation or pivots happen and, you know, the best results that come out of that is really when I involve our team. Mm. And if I'm just the one, you know, calling the shots all the time and saying, well, we need to pivot, we need to do this and that, you know, and they're not really connected to those pivots or they don't have that personal buy-in, um, then it can feel more challenging and more like, oh, we're never, we're never able to just rest, you know, but when I can kind of get their buy-in, um, it feels like it's a joint effort. We're all, you know, in this together, working towards these results and we all have ownership versus, you know, I'm just the dictator over here calling the shots. And so, yeah, I think that this is, this is real and it's normal again, and it is true. Part of this is true. Um, but I think to me, kind of the liberating truth is, you know, that marketing, um, means that we get to constantly test new things out. You know, Marissa, while you were talking, one of the things that I thought of that is kind of cool is that marketing is not a perfectionistic sport. Okay, like that's kind of a liberating truth all by itself. I mean, it's always open to growth and learning and optimization and it's dynamic and it's collaborative. And there are so many great things about marketing that, for example, are not true about a discipline like finance. I mean, you really you really don't want like that's where you want your perfectionist. It's like surgery. You know, you really want to get it right um, the first time because, you know, a lot is at stake in a different way. In marketing, you don't have to have the pressure of doing it perfectly right out of the gate because there's so many levers that you can adjust and uh, and kind of fiddle with. And it's very empowering, like you were saying, for the members of the team, even at the individual contributor level to suggest changes, to make changes and to take initiative. This does not have to be top down. And I think while this is probably not an area for somebody who doesn't like change, you know, those people are better suited for other areas in a business. I think that um, it's really about how you think about the change. And if you think about it as being exhausting or empowering, and I think the truth is, the liberating truth is, it really is exciting and empowering. Okay, so let me review the five limiting beliefs that we've talked about today that marketers often feel. Limiting belief number one is that marketing is only about the metrics. And the liberating belief that we talked, or liberating truth that we talked about is that it's really about transformation, that marketing makes transformation for our clients and customers possible. The second limiting belief is that we've hit the ceiling on our success. 
And the liberating truth is something like uh, there's always another level of success that's possible with different strategies and tactics. The third limiting belief is that the only way to market is to be salesy and sleazy. Ugh. But the liberating truth is that when we market authentically, we attract the right customers and clients. The fourth limiting belief is that there's only one way to get leads. In our case, we used to think that was webinars. But the liberating truth is that there are many ways to get leads. And the one of the best that we've found is fill in the blank, whatever it is for you, meaning there's always opportunity for something else. And then lastly, that marketing means constantly pivoting and adjusting. And I think the liberating truth there is that marketing is not a perfectionistic sport. There's always opportunities to uh, optimize and improve, which is very empowering. Well, Marissa, thank you so much for joining me today. I personally feel like I've learned a lot and I hope that our business owners and leaders who are listening today feel like they have um, a new toolbox to go coach their marketing people, their marketing teams with that's really going to unlock some results that they haven't experienced so far. Well, thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure as always. Of those five limiting beliefs, one that I feel comes up a lot for a lot of people, I've certainly seen this, is that the only way to market is to be salesy and sleazy. And here's the problem. When we feel like we are selling from our heels, we are never going to be as successful as we might otherwise be because we're walking into the world basically apologizing for the good things that we are offering the world. The reality is if we can walk into a sales context confident that what we're offering the world will benefit anybody that purchases it, we will be able to sell all that more confidently and of course, all that more successfully. Next, after the break, we'll hear how limiting beliefs are affecting your human resources and operations. Aaron Perry is our chief experience officer here at Full Focus, and the truth is, that's a tricky job. Whenever I think of HR, I think of the line from Thornton Wilder's play Our Town, wherever you come near the human race, there's layers and layers of nonsense. And the reality is, as true as that is, it's also false. And the hardest thing about being in HR is to somehow not be cynical or naive. That's a real challenge. The only way to be in that headspace is to be real about humans, and that means avoiding limiting beliefs. That's why I'm so excited about this conversation, because Megan and Aaron are going to chat now about how limiting beliefs show up in HR and operations and what to do about it. Well, I'm excited to continue this conversation about how we as business owners and leaders can help coach and guide our teams to higher levels of performance. And, you know, this is an area where this really shows up is with our, our team, with our people as a whole, with our, our uh, company. And the reality is that people, as we believe at Full Focus, are our greatest asset. I mean, certainly, they're probably the biggest expense in your business. I know they are at Full Focus. And because of that, we want to steward them 
well and we you know put a lot of stock in our HR team and how we care for our employees and all of that but one of the things just like on the marketing side that can happen on the HR side the ops side is that there can be a, a host of limiting beliefs that creep in that can make that HR team less effective at building and developing the kind of team that can perform at the highest level. So we're going to talk today about five typical limiting beliefs about HR and operations that we see all the time with our clients, with our customers, and how you can really swap those for liberating truths that will help you better align the way you're caring for your employees, the way your HR team is caring for those employees and building the team with the goals that you have as a company. So today, I'm joined by Erin Perry, who's our Chief Experience Officer. She's been with me before on the podcast, of course. She oversees both our client customer experiences, but also our employee experiences, uh, including operations and HR. So Erin, I'm so glad that you're here today to talk about all this. Thanks, Meg. I'm super excited to be on again and excited to talk about this topic. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be really fun. Okay, well, let's talk about the first limiting belief, which is that HR and ops only care about the employer and not the employees. Do you find that this is something that HR and operations teams often feel is true? Yeah, you know, I have seen a lot of HR people that come into an organization and because of their past experience, they lean more towards siding with the employer and they forget that part of their charge is actually to be the bridge that connects the employees to the company and the ownership and, um, you know, the executive suite. And so, uh, ultimately, finding that balance, I think, is really important. And and if you're out of balance, it leads to people feeling like they can't trust HR or operations yeah. teams because they're not really going to listen to me. They're not really going to take into account the things that I am caring about. They're not really listening becomes yeah. a part of the narrative. And so... I think the other side of the coin, the liberating truth is good HR and ops teams are that bridge and that connecting piece between uh, the company and its employees. And that's how you steward great culture. I love this because what you didn't say is great HR and ops teams prioritize the employers over the company. I mean, I think you're you're really finding that third way is a liberating truth because if you prioritize the company always over the employees or vice versa, those binary options are going to lead to problems, right? And so if you can find the third option, which is this bridge idea, which I love that, then it really becomes win-win because that's what we want. I mean, we want the employees to win when the company wins and vice versa. We want every everybody on the same side of the table, as my dad often says. Um, and so it, it's almost like this uh, limiting belief is really more about that the company is preeminent over the employees. You know, that's kind of that binary option. And really what you're saying is the bridge is the right path forward. So I love that. Okay, so the second limiting belief is that HR and ops only care about the employees and they don't understand the needs of the business. So talk about that a little bit. 
Yeah, it's the exact opposite of what we just talked about. And honestly, a lot of times I find this comes in the form of an overcorrection, yeah. right? Somebody's received feedback that they're not um, caring about the needs of the employees. And so they overcourse correct and start caring so much and advocating so much for the needs of the employees that they forget that there's a whole business attached to this. <laughs> and even something as simple as your recommendations have got to consider the needs of the business. Is it feasible? Is it affordable? You know, all of those questions. And so that puts the business owners in a weird position of kind of having the HR team in between them and the employees. Yeah. When again, that idea of the bridge here really is the liberating truth for both of these. Yeah. Your best HR teams should always be thinking about what's the third way? How can I align to the needs of the business and steward the employees in a way that they feel prioritized? I love this um, because certainly at different points in our history and my professional history, I've seen this kind of swing in different directions. And you're right, it really is problematic. I think sometimes this happens if somebody's come out of like a big corporate environment that was a negative experience and now they're in a small business context and, you know, they're just going to kind of do it right, you know, so to speak in air quotes. Um, but I, I love that there, again, is a win-win solution with the bridge. And I think part of what's important as the business owner, when you're dealing with your HR team, I know I, I spent a lot of time with you, Aaron, with our HR team, because people are so central to our business and there are always opportunities and challenges there that we're, we're dealing with and, um, you know, thinking through, I think it's important for for you to set the pace as a business owner here about what your expectations are, that you expect the third option, that you expect this kind of bridge, that that's how you want to think about it. Because I, everybody comes to their role or their team um, with baggage from their past. And they're probably going to swing in one or, uh, or the other of these directions of these first two limiting beliefs. And as a, as a business owner, you have the opportunity of being the one to say, okay, but at full focus, this is how we're going to think about it. And this is how I want you to think about your solutions and your behavior and our culture and all of that. And, and that's a really um, powerful contribution that you can make as the business owner or the leader to your HR and ops team. The marriage of those two, and if your HR and ops team can take the lead there, that tends to set culture across your organization and builds in that expectation of behavior. Okay, so the third limiting belief is that HR and ops don't strategically or meaningfully contribute to the vision of the company. Okay, talk about this one. Yeah, I think it's a really easy trap to fall into where if you're working in HR and ops, you're not bringing in revenue, right. you're not developing new products, you know, you're you're doing less exciting things. And uh, that trap of feeling like, am I contributing to the meaningful parts of the vision starts to creep in. And it, and it really, if you take that train too far down the tracks, you feel like you're a drag on the business yeah. and you start to wonder about your contribution. And I think, you know, what we've learned and certainly I've seen in a majority of companies is if you don't have a good HR and operational foundation, then you can't actually get to the vision. Yeah. You can't actually uh, 
live out everything that you want to live out. And so finding that foundation and where is your place and how do you meaningfully contribute by way of things like great processes, great systems, you know, all of those things that can help to build upon that vision and and make it a reality and make it reachable, um, I think is the liberating truth. It's a huge component of the vision and really should be the center that keeps everything else moving forward. I love that. You've really brought that vision to our team for the contribution of HR and ops. And I think that has been um, hugely beneficial for us. And I think kind of like what we were talking about with Marissa earlier in one of the limiting beliefs we were talking about, and I think it was the first one, you know, that idea that marketing is just all about the metrics. It's kind of like similar in this way where it can almost feel transactional and uh, you know, you're, you're doing benefits administration, you're coming up with project management systems, you're um, you know, documenting SOPs or thinking about the tech stack or whatever, all those kinds of things. And it can seem far away from the vision and part of the unique role of the business owner, the team leader, uh, et cetera, is to remind that team of what an incredible and important contribution they're making to the vision and how uniquely the work that they do paves the way for the vision that we're, we're headed towards. So I think that's easy to underestimate, but critically important to help the folks on these teams have longevity and a sense of significance and meaning in their work. Okay, so let's go on to the fourth limiting belief that the job of HR and ops is primarily firefighting in the moment. Okay, talk about that, Erin. Hey, listen, first of all, HR and ops teams will uh, know that this is true. We're all great firefighters, otherwise we wouldn't be here. And that is a part of the job and you'll never get around it. But great HR teams don't get stuck in thinking, hey, I'm just a firefighter, I'm just responding. They are more proactive in their approach. So they're looking for the train long before it comes down the tracks and they're trying to proactively solve the problem before it's an actual problem, right? And so there's risk management involved in that. There's, you know, getting enough out in front of issues and and strategically planning your work in order to be able to achieve that. But I think the liberating truth is you're more than just a firefighter. You can be proactive in your approach to problems and you can have the agency to affect real change across the organization if you can proactively problem solve, if you can find trends even in the problems and how can you put that together and instead of putting people on the problem, put a system on the problem, put an automation on the problem. So I think another version of a liberating truth here is that the firefighting makes it possible for the rest of the business to continue running and growing without getting bogged down and coming to a screeching halt. So I think even in those seasons where you are firefighting, it's so purposeful and important. Um, it's important to not minimize that or diminish even that part of it. Erin, you know what uh, came to my mind as you were talking? I was th- I was thinking back to 2020 and how we have jokingly said that you and I were a health department of two there for you know several months, and it was actually longer than several months. It was mu- we thought maybe it would be a few weeks, but it turned out to be much much longer than we had anticipated. 
But even in that season of firefighting, which, you know, neither of us would uh, willingly choose that job again, that enabled our business to continue to grow, to grow profitably, for us to continue to serve our clients, for us to keep people employed, um, all of those things. And if we hadn't been able to find a way to safely continue to work and manage the risk that we were facing, which did feel like firefighting for a season, um, you know, it would have had a very detrimental effect on our employees and on the business as a whole and certainly on our clients. And so, there will be periods where the majority of the work of an HR or ops team is firefighting. I think that's not the goal for sure to have that be longer than it needs to be. But even in those periods, there's real purpose um, and a very important contribution that only the HR and ops team can make to the business during that, that enables the rest of the business to continue to function and even grow and expand. And so again, the business owner or the leader has the opportunity to remind the team of that when it can feel just like hand-to-hand combat. It's actually more than that, and its, its purpose is incredibly valuable. Okay, so let's go on to the fifth and final limiting belief, which is that HR and ops is all about creating and enforcing all the rules. <laughs> this is one that, I mean, I think most people, this pops into their mind when they think of HR, especially. Yeah, totally. And listen, HR people and operations people think that about themselves. And so that's part of the danger here. If you are a very process-oriented person, which most Mm -hmm. HR and operational people are, then you're constantly thinking about how can I mitigate risk through rules? How can I, you know, standardize things through process and rules? And you create lots of them. And that's an important part of the job. However, that can feel to an employee like, ooh, they are handcuffing me. And that can feel like a business owner to, ooh, I'm being handcuffed and I can't do the things that I want to do. The liberating truth in that is while certainly there needs to be rules and process, that those can be flexible. They don't have to be either or, black and white. There's a lot more living in the gray that should be done by HR teams and operational teams to come to the right kinds of rules and processes. And I think mm-hmm. that's the really important piece. You don't want to uh, you know, have this cumbersome, overly bureaucratic, process or rule that no one's going to follow and people are just going to veto by an action anyway. Yeah. You know, Aaron, it reminds me um, what my coach, Les McEwen, often says, which is some version of that the right kind and amount of process actually creates freedom in a business. You know, it, it frees us up to do our best work. And I think that is really exciting. And that reframes HR and operations in a way that I think we can all wrap our head around and get on board with. Rather than an antagonistic relationship, it really can become a partnership. Um, And that's, I think, something that I've expanded in my own thinking in the last couple of years. And it it actually makes me um, excited about and value HR and ops in a different way because they're so critical to the things that I want to do with our business in terms of our vision over the long term. It's not possible without the right kind and the right amount of process involved. Otherwise, you know, we can't hold the weight of what we're building. And so it's really a symbiotic partnership when it's done well. 
Totally. I think, Meg, the right question to be asking if you're on an HR or ops team is how can I make this possible? Not Mm. how can I not make this possible? So it really, (laughs) if you approach this with a possibility mindset, there's usually always a way to make what someone's dreamed up happen with a few little tweaks and a few little, um, you know, process things put in place. So let me just review these uh, limiting beliefs here that are often held by HR and ops teams. The first one is that HR and ops only care about the company's interests and not that of the employees. And Aaron's liberating truth is that HR and ops functions best when it's a bridge that finds win-win solutions between the company and the employees. The second limiting belief is that HR and ops only care about the employees and deprioritizes the needs of the business. And the liberating truth there is exactly the same. The best HR and ops teams are a bridge for win-win solutions between the company and its employees. The third limiting belief is that HR and ops don't think strategically or rather that HR and ops don't strategically or meaningfully contribute to the vision. And the liberating truth is really that HR and ops clear the path for the vision. So that's a great opportunity as a business owner for you to remind the team of that and really elevate their work in that way. The fourth limiting belief is that the job of HR and ops is primarily firefighting in the moment. And the liberating truth is that the best HR and ops teams are thinking three steps ahead and planning for that. And also that even in the firefighting, they're making it possible for the business to continue to operate in an uninterrupted way. And then lastly, the fifth limiting belief is that HR and ops is all about creating and enforcing all the rules. And the liberating truth, as my coach Les McEwen says, is that the right kinds and amount of process actually create freedom. All right. Well, Erin, thank you so much for joining me today. I don't know about our listeners, but I suspect this is true for them also, that I've really gotten um, an expanded and exciting view of the role of HR and ops within uh, the realization of a vision of a company. And I'm so glad for your leadership at Full Focus and for how you're sharing that with our listeners today. So thanks again for being here. Thanks, Meg. Really appreciate it. Let's go back to Aaron's third point, that HR and ops doesn't really strategically or meaningfully contribute to the vision. We know that's false. HR and ops can impact the vision at an incredible level. In fact, without HR and ops working in concert with the vision, my guess is you never reach it. The reason we started with confidence is recognizing that the way we see a situation affects how we perform in that situation. When we walk into a setting feeling unprepared, feeling like we can't prevail, we're likely not to prevail. Yet, if we walk into that same setting feeling confident that we can prevail, our chances of doing so are greater. And that is especially important as we're thinking about goal setting in this coming year and then achieving those goals. If marketing and HR and ops are coming into the new year with their hands tied behind their backs with limiting beliefs, reaching those goals is going to be basically impossible. 
If instead they can be empowered with liberating truths, they can approach any situation they're facing with greater confidence and more effectiveness. And that's the difference between failure to reach your goals and going all the way to the finish line. That's it for this episode of the Business Accelerator Podcast. If you're a business owner and you're interested in learning more about our Business Accelerator coaching program, go to businessaccelerator.com. We help successful but overwhelmed small business owners just like you scale yourself and your business so you can win at work and succeed at life. It's what we call the double win. And if you don't think that's for you, I think that might just be a limiting belief. If you'd like to experience a liberating truth for yourself, go to businessaccelerator.com. And that's a wrap. We'll be back next week with more conversations to help accelerate your business.